Will the real New York Yankees please stand up? The playoffs are right around the corner and the Yanks have started to hobble to the finish line. They are in the playoffs, but how long will their second season last? Will we see the team that won 10 straight or will we see the team that dropped 15 of 20? We discuss all of it. Go in the paper with Jake Brown and welcome in six-time Yankees World Series champion and six-time All-Star, Willie Randolph. It's all next on episode 30 of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All rise. Here's a Pinstripe Pod. Welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. We are winding down the stretch before we bring you postseason Pinstripe Pods. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, four-time Yankees World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran, yes. And Nelly is at NYNelly43. If you are tuned in right now, do us a favor, head into Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and write in a nice review. We appreciate your support in our debut season and look forward to continue to bring you two episodes a week during the Yankee playoff run. Joining Nelly and I in episode 30 of the show is number 30 himself, former Yankees infielder and coach Willie Randolph. But first, let's bring in our <laughs> deprived Met fan producer, co-host of the Post-Mets podcast, Amazing But True, Jake Brown, as we get into the biggest Yankees headlines in the paper. It's nice to talk about the postseason because I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> as, uh, the Mets, another, another year, another under 500 season. I'll be drinking heavily in the month of October. But this well, show, Mets fans are like Groundhog Day. It's yeah, like Groundhog yeah, Day. Yeah, every, every year, same thing. It's the pandemic's been Groundhog Day, and a Mets fan's Groundhog Day. Um, but the Yankees guys will start off with this. We're crushed on Wednesday, fourteen to one. Now, listen, if the Mets have playoff hopes, you guys got to sweep the Marlins, and the Mets got to win out. There's about ten things that need to happen, but we'll need some help from you guys. Um, the Yankees were crushed, fourteen to one. Masahiro Tanaka's final start of the regular season, but was that Tanaka's final regular season start in a New York Yankee? Yankees uniform. Well, first and foremost, let me start with this. You're out, Tom. <laughs> That's all I'm saying about your Mets. You're done. You're out. Listen, I'm just saying mathematically, if we're doing the math, they're not out. But yes, they're done. You're out as the consigliere over here. Uh, Yankees crush Wednesday. Yeah, 14-1. Was it Tanaka's final regular season start as a Yankee? Uh, I don't think so. And, and I'll bring up another former Yankee and a, for, and a countryman of Masahiro Tanaka, Hiroki Kuroda. He signed three one-year deals with the Yankees and they were very successful deals for him. I believe the first one was 10 million and then he got a raise the next year to 14 million and then his last one I believe was 16 million. Uh and he was a he was a great Yankee pitcher down the stretch of his uh career. Uh I think he was 36, 37 and 38 years old. He was that stopper that the Yankees needed when he was on the team. And I have to I think the, the way you have to look at this Nelly is that the Yankees are probably going to offer Tanaka the qualifying offer after the season's end, and it's probably going to be around 18 million. I think you want to keep the guy around just for his postseason numbers. He's five and three with a 176 ERA in the postseason. Based on Tanaka's elbow and how it's been iffy since he hurt it back in the first year of his contract in 2014. 
Does he take the qualifying offer and does he want to stay with the Yankees? Does he want to test the market? I think he comes back with the qualifying offer. And I think that's the safest bet for the Yankees with Tanaka moving forward. If they offered him the qualifying offer, he's probably definitely going to take it because I think other teams are going to look at that elbow and he's probably not going to get very many offers. If he does, it's going to be a really low ball offer if he decides to go out. I'm kind of on the fence of whether he comes back or not, only because of that elbow. It's It's been able to hold up thus far. Might be a matter of time before that thing breaks down and it might be 2021. Uh, you look at some of the starters are out there. They're really not a whole lot of quality quality guys on the free agent market in 2021 to go out and, and try to, besides Bauer, and if you do you want to go that direction, I mean, he brings a lot of uh, excitement. I mean, he's a good pitcher, but at the same time, do you want that media stuff going on in New York? I mean, I don't know if you want that he, he struck somebody out uh, last uh, yesterday and he walked off the field like the MMA fighter. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Well, I saw him pop a beer can, you know, I mean, he strikes somebody out and all of a sudden he, he pop whether it's a soda or beer or whatever it is and he drinks it. I mean, he's he's a, uh, I mean, he's a, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he can back up a lot of stuff that he, that he talks, but to me, if they don't bring him back, I think they go out and make a trade with someone. I think that's their best bet as far as getting someone, maybe not the quality of Garrett Cole, but somebody that's maybe a number two starter because you're going to have Severino back. I mean, we talked with Bob Lorenzo on Monday about this and and if it's a team-friendly deal, maybe they do that, but I don't know. I don't even know if they go with the qualifying offer. $18 million for someone that may be able to uh, break down immediately, maybe that elbow winds up going. I mean, his stuff his stuff is definitely diminishing. I mean, you look at last yeah, night. We've been saying I mean, that for six years. Everything's up in the zone. You know, he's not throwing it hard. He wasn't throwing his fastball inside yesterday. Uh, you know, and if, if that fastball's out over the middle of the plate, it's meatballs, and that, that's yeah, what I, happened yesterday. I think it's going to depend on his postseason performance. To yeah, I agree. Uncle Stevie might be in the bidding for Trevor Bauer as well as the, uh, <laughs> as the richest yeah. owner in baseball. So uh, it's, it's nice to have some money here. That would be Queens perfect Park. for the Mets. Yeah, we, The Mets need some antics. Yeah, we went from the dollar store to the Gucci store in a heartbeat. <laughs> it, it's, it's a beautiful time. Um, after seemingly being a lock for you guys, and you guys talked about it in the last show, you know, 90% chance that you play the Twins. Well, now at the season ended today, you'd play the Chicago White Sox. So my question to you is now, with the realistic possibility of playing these White Sox, would you rather play them or play the Twins in the first round? No, I'd still rather play the Twins in the first round, even though the Twins are on fire right now and the Sox are sinking like a stone. The Indians might even catch up to the White Sox and get the uh, second place seating in the AL Central. So it's still on the table for all of that to happen. But if I'm the Yankees and and I had to choose between the Twins or the White Sox. Nelly, if I'm them, I, I want to play the Twins. I know I've got their number. Their pitching staff isn't uh, the same as the White Sox when you have Giolito and you have Dallas Keuchel at the top of there. And the Yankees always have had issues with Keuchel when he was with the Astros. So if it's me, I'm, I am I want to play Minnesota. Yeah, you know, in a way. And then all of a sudden, I just uh, looked at their pitching staff and they have two, two pitchers on that Minnesota Twins pitching staff that have tons of playoff experience, something that the Twins have never had. I mean, Barrios, is a, a, one of the guys, one of the, I, I think best, one of the best young starters in the league. And he's got a lot of bright, bright stars ahead of him, but they have Kenta Maeda and they also have Rich Hill, two guys that have a lot of playoff experience and are not going to be intimidated about going into New York or having New York come to Minnesota. So I, you know, that's the, this is the most dangerous series, obviously two out of three. I, I don't know if there's a good, good answer for any three teams, only that you've had Minnesota's number for a number of years and, and they just can't beat you in the playoffs. Uh, will those two, two pitchers make a difference? I don't know. You definitely don't want to play Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland has some of the best starting pitching in, in baseball. And 
and you know the White Sox with some inexperience maybe that plays a part but they're tough too you're going to have to win game one you have to win Garrett Cole's game and that's the bottom line no matter who you play you have to win Garrett Cole's game if you don't win Garrett Cole's game it, it might be an end yeah and guys the the Indians also you're right are in the picture because they play the Pirates to close out the season who have been awful uh the Twins have three versus the Reds who are right there in the playoff race and the White Sox will have three versus the Cubs after one with the Indians so flip a coin who you're going to play at this point it's going to be TBD and we'll talk about that on Monday's show guys the Yankees will take on the Marlins to close out the season after one more against the Jays should the Yankees be all in trying to win these games how do you play it here because obviously with the injuries that they've had you worry a little bit about playing these guys every day you want them fresh for game one on Tuesday how do you play it? Are you all in or are you resting, guys? I'm not a former player. Nelly is. I'm going to defer. I'm going to actually pass the buck here, and I'm going to go to Nelly, and I'm going to ask him. You were a, a top-of-the-line reliever, Jeff. So would you rather not pitch, or would you rather pitch and get yourself ready? Now, look, if, you're, if you've been overworked, I get it, but and you want some rest. But if I'm Aaron Judge, I want to be in the lineup every day. That's just me. I don't want to go into the playoffs having two, three days off. I I want to go into the playoffs getting my timing back in the batter's box. If you want to give guys half days off as a DH, fine. But to me, I need to know from a former player. That's why I'm deferring to you. What would you do, Nelly? Uh, well, the season's going. They're going to have one day off. That's Monday, and then they're going to they're going to start. The American League starts on the 29th, and the National right. League the 30th. So I, I think, out of fairness for the National League, I, I think you still go all in. There's still some answers. I, I think for me, for the Yankees going into the playoffs, you have Aaron Judge and Stanton. I, I think they have to play all three days. And if they do a half a day on Sunday, which is fine. If they want to give them off on Sunday, that's fine. But Friday and Saturday, they have to play. Uh, I think some of the bullpen guys out of Eno, you know, he's got to see a couple days and get ready for get ready for Tuesday. Uh, they're not going to see, the Marlins won't see Cole and they won't see Tanaka. But they'll see Hap, they'll see Garcia, they'll see Montgomery. But I still think you have to go all in. You know, I, I don't, I think it's a, a pipe dream for them to try to get a home game, uh, you know, to start the first three games I, I don't think that's going to happen I think it's you're either going to go to Minnesota you're going to go to uh, Cleveland or you're going to go to Chicago so I, I don't think the Yankees wind up getting that but I think you go all in I mean, at least the first two games because if you look at the National League is that fair to try to slide guys give guys rest and all of a sudden you're letting the Marlins slide into the playoffs I, I don't think so I think you still go all in yeah, and the Marlins very much fighting for a spot and you know they've been reeling lately against the Braves last one before Willie Randolph joins the show best of three starts Tuesday I mean I pretty much know the answer but I'm curious are you guys locked in Game one, Cole. Game two, Tanaka. Game three, Hap. Yes, locked in. Locked and loaded. I don't care what Hap does in his last start. He's earned it. Uh, ever since his first two starts in this shortened season, he's turned it around. He's pitched well. You know, he's a, he's a vet. I, I want a vet out there. I, I do not want, because that would be the deciding game three. And I wouldn't want to put a Davey Garcia out there in a clinching game one way or the other and put all that pressure on a rookie. We could talk. We could wax poetic, Nelly, about how he's looked and, and how he's looked very calm on the mound, but it's a different scenario when you're battling for your playoff life in game three of a best of three. So for me, it's called Tanaka and Hap. Yeah, I mean, I, if you look at it, oh, obviously, I think because game one is the most important. I mean, in two out of three, you have to have your best guy out there, and that's going to be Garrett Cole. Uh, so you have to win that game. If you don't win that game, like I said, I think it's going to be a tough, a tough series for the Yankees to try to win one out of those next two. 
Now, you know, if you look ahead, say the Yankees get past that first round, Garrett Cole's still not going to be able to pitch in game one of the division series because there's only one day off, and that's a travel day to get out to California. There's a decision right there. If you can win the first two, and then you can start Hat game one and then Cole game two, but there's only one day off. So your best guys won't be pitching game one in the division series if they go ahead. So Cole's by far the game one pitcher in the first series. All right, that'll put the long microphone, Bob Barker microphone, away in the stash. That is the final, the swan song of In the Paper, because coming up, it'll be playoff time for the Yankees. And coming up next on the show, a rare guest with more rings than Jeff Nelson. He's got six of them, not four. Willie Randolph. Joining the Pinstripe Pod now is a former Yankees infielder. He's a six-time All-Star, five of them coming with the Yanks. He played 13 seasons with the Yankees from 1976 through 1988. He won back-to-back World Series as a player in 77 and 78. He would return to the Yankees as a base and bench coach for 11 seasons from 1994 to 2004, where he would go on to win four more rings alongside my co-host, Jeff Nelson. (laughs) We all know the uh, the years, 96, 98, 99, and 2000, and six-time World Series champion, Yankees great, Willie Randolph. How was that introduction, Willie? Did I nail it? Wow, you were were very thorough, I'm telling you. (laughs) I have a a long resume, and and sometimes I I get like kind of like, oh, just Google me. I'm not even going to go through it. Just Google me. That's all. You get all the information. But it's great to be with you guys. Great to be here, man. It's great to have you. And uh, I don't I don't I don't need that long introduction. I know who you are. You're the reason why I became a second baseman. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And let's start since I brought up the, the late 90s with Nelly here. Just some memories about coaching on those teams with Nelly and and how was Nelly as a player, Willie? You don't have to sugarcoat it, Willie. You don't have to <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm gonna tell it like it is because uh, you know <laughs> I can do that now. It's taped, so you could always edit it out. <laughs> no, but but you know it, it was such a great group, guys. It was a, a special group. I mean, I've been on some great teams over the years, and uh, you know, getting into, into my coaching years, um, get a chance to work with some real gamers the whole team we're all about just playing the game right so as a coach it made my job you know pretty easy for the most part you know we had a young Derek Jeter and then we had all these veterans around him that that really kind of uh molded this this group of of champions I mean that that's the way we went about our business every day so you know it was just a pleasure to be a part of real Yankee greatness you know and, and and to see it grow from from infancy from you know, going back to 94 with Show Walter, we went through that crazy year where there was a strike. And then 95, we had the disappointment when Cleveland beat us. And then, you know, we got into that run in 96, and it was just magical the whole time. And and the pieces that we had all through the lineup and, and our, our starting pitching, our defense, the bullpen, which was Nelly, was a huge part of. And, and again, I, I always look at Nelly as, as, as our quiet assassin, you know, our secret weapon, because, <laughs> you know, when righties came in, uh, it, you know, it was just it was over. I mean, he had that devastating slider, you know, the really good fastball that ran inside on you. I, I'm glad I didn't have to face him. But we had just had a nice nucleus of, of pieces. And, and, you know, we had guys that weren't afraid to go out and play the game and have the pressure of being the best, you know, that's what I loved about that team was unselfish 
and we went out and played the game, and, and no one cared who got the, got the glory. But everybody that was on that team had a role, a job, and they did it mag- magnificently. Yeah, you were, my first year was your last year in 92. You went to the Mets, so we wouldn't have been able to uh, cross paths, though. So that, that would have been fun. But, you know, go back to 96 in spring training because you were probably a part of that with the Derek Jeter, and, you know, there was rumors or – that out there that, oh, you know what, they wanted to make a trade with Seattle and get Felix Fermin. They didn't think Jeter was ready. And and talk a little bit about that and, and how that developed. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Nelly, because this this is, the, you know, such a, a cool story for me because, uh, all right, I'm going to take you back to spring training where we're in Averoni's, this restaurant, little Italian restaurant that a lot of guys went to, great little place. And, and we used to have our organizational meetings there. So it was a whole staff. George was there, of course. Very intense, you know, because, you know, when George was around, everyone got a little nervous, you know. So here we are, Gene Michaels, the whole staff, we're having dinner or lunch, actually, and we're talking about the team. So I remember, you know, Jeter coming up, obviously. I didn't know a lot about him, but I knew that that Tony was getting a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, I think what we needed as a team was an infusion of speed, you know, because we didn't have a whole lot of speed then, and I I knew that Jerry could run a little bit. Now, he made some errors in in, in AAA, and I knew about that. But I said, you know what, guys? You know, he's a young player. If you give him to me, uh, I can work with him. As long as you don't yo-yo him up back and forth and triple. Remember back in the day, Nelly, guys would get make an error and George would send them back to Columbus and stuff like yeah. that, you know. So I said, as long as you don't don't mess with this kid's confidence, I spoke up in that meeting. I was one of the few guys that, that really said, you know what, just give him to me. I, I, I got this, okay? Because a lot of guys would never go out on a limb on George and say, hey, George, this guy, this and that. Because George would, would hold you to it. He would just say, you sure about that? Really? Sure? Really? Okay. You, you, said, you said it. You said it. You said it. You said it now. And then guys would just cringe in the room. Like, oh, my God, what did I just say? Whatever, you know. But I didn't care. I, I didn't know what was he going to do? Fire me? I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do, you know? So I said, you know, I stood up. And to this day, I remember Gene Michaels, before he passed, God bless him, he said that Willie was one of the few guys that he's the only guy stood up in the room and said, you know, give this kid a shot. As long as you don't yo-yo him back and forth from AAA when he makes an error, I think he's going to be okay now. I didn't know he's going to be a Hall of Famer, <laughs> of course, you know. But but I just had a good feeling about Derek, and I wasn't afraid to work with young talent. I love young talent. So I knew that if, that if he was a worker, and he was, I mean, Derek was easy because he was out there every day working his butt off. You know, he took instruction. Uh, he wasn't sensitive, so I would get on his butt every once in a while, and he didn't take it personally. And when I saw that in him, guys, I knew he was going to be an excellent player for us because, again, we needed that that little youth kind of infusion of energy and, and speed. And I love speed, so I, I, I'd say, listen, if you give me a shot with this kid, I think we can make him a decent player, and as he turns out, he ends up being a great player. <laughs> How? Let, let me take you back one year earlier, Willie, when when Don Mattingly was still with the team as well, and and Derek, Derek got a cup of coffee here and there with the '95 team, and and around for the playoff loss, of course, with Seattle after winning the first two games at the stadium, and then who getting- was there? Who was in Seattle? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. We know. We know. <laughs> But how how instrumental was having Donnie around too? I mean, I know you were in '96, but being around Donnie in '95, what did that mean for Jeter's development? Oh, it was huge because you know everyone gravitated towards Donnie. Everyone knew who he was in the clubhouse. He was our leader. He was the captain. You could just see that that the respect everyone had for him in the clubhouse, especially the young guys. They were looking at him like they had stars in their eyes because Donnie was very you know approachable. And he loved to work. And, and the, the example that he set for the young players in the cage, on the field, you know, and, and Donnie, you know, you know, he, he didn't he didn't say a lot. But but, you know, if you give you that look, 
you know, then you knew you had to get in line. So I thought he was excellent for the young players. And, and what made that even more special that year is that the young players like Posada and Jeter and some of the guys that were in the clubhouse when we lost in 95, I remember the look on their faces when we walked off that field devastated. I mean, we could not believe we had lost that series. And I remember standing on the bench watching as Jeter and a couple of guys were sitting there. You know, Nelly, sometimes guys will stare out in the field, yeah. almost like in shock. But you'll sit there and watch them celebrate. But you, you kind of wonder what's going through guys' minds when they're watching this. You know, and obviously they're pissed off, but they're like looking at it. Wow, you know, you're stunned. And I remember walking by Jeter and a couple of the young players and kind of seeing what they were doing. They were sitting there in the chair looking out at the field almost like, you know what, wow, you know what, this is what it's all about. This is what it's going to take for us to be champions. I really think that was very instrumental in in kickboarding us into that new era of 96 moving forward because uh, I think that those young players got a chance to see what it was like to be a Yankee and what we expected, and that was to win championships. I mean, that clubhouse was was like a morgue. I mean, and I think we all knew that this is not acceptable, that that we, we need to go out next, the next year, get ready for some training, and get back to where we need to be. Yeah, I felt that way in 01 when I went back to Seattle, and we you guys beat us in uh, in the ALCS, and I was walking across that field, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, we went 116 16 games, and, we, and Lou was there. Lou was the manager, and you felt bad for him because he's like, oh, I want to take this team to – the World Series and and it just didn't happen. It's awful. You, you know, it's a it's an unbelievable feeling. But I want to go back what what you said about when you were sitting around the table at lunch with Mr. Steinberg. Now you played for him and, and then you also coached for him. And I remember him in the clubhouse. And you're exactly right. I mean, he used to go up to players and he used to test them. I mean, he was a guy that that expected a lot and a lot of guys would crawl under a rock. And if you kind of stood up for yourself a little bit and had confidence, then he probably figured out that you could make it in, in that city. What was it like, you know, playing for him and, and seeing him in the clubhouse in the years that you played? I mean, doing these fantasy camps and listening to Goose and listening to Mickey Rivers and all this, these stories are incredible. But then you got to coach with him as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, I started with the Yankees. My first year was uh, 1976. I was 21 years old. I was a baby, you know. And so here I'm coming into this this room of all these vets, veterans, the Thurman Munson, the Roy White, Catfish Hunter. The year later, Reggie came in. We had a great group of veteran players. So I was always seen but not heard, okay. And I knew going through that whole process where it was, you know, Reggie and Billy and George, it was like, again, the Bronx Zoo. It was just what it felt like, you know. So I was just all taking all this in. And while I was doing it, you know, I was kind of staying away from the fray. Obviously, I wasn't involved in a lot of the stuff that was going on. But but I, I, I learned to respect George because, you know, he was tough. Don't get me wrong now. He was a tough guy to work for. But, but I wouldn't have changed anything. I think that you need to have ownership that's going to hold players accountable. Guys get played good money, and it's not really about the money, but they give you a chance to win. Mr. Steinbrenner always gave us a chance to win. And as a player, Nelly, you know this better than anybody. If you got a chance in spring training starts, I mean, a legitimate chance, then that's all you want as a player. That's all you care about. All the other stuff you deal with, the ups and downs, you deal with that stuff. But if you got a team, you've got an ownership that's saying, listen, I'm going to put money into this team. I'm going to give my team a chance to win. That's what you that's what you play for. So I, I would all take the good and the bad with George. We had a good relationship. It was kind of unspoken because obviously I wouldn't have been on that run in 96 if George didn't believe in me. I mean, I, I retired, you know, after I left the Yankees. Um, actually, my last year was with the Mets, and then I bounced around for a minute, and I came back as a front office guy for a minute. Then I, George came and he said, listen, Willie, what do you want to do? He said, uh, you don't seem like you're comfortable in the suit. He said, no, no. I said, you're right about that. I said, I would love to sweat and get out there and work with the guys, you know. So I, um, you know, I, I like the coach. He says, well, uh, you have a coach third base? I go, no. He goes, well, go, go down to, to Florida with the Trey Hillman and the 
Modern League and, and get a crash course on it. So I went down there for two months. I, you know, I got into it. I adapted real well to it and everything, and that's how it started for me. But Mr. Steinbrenner always believed in me, and I will never forget that because, you know, we had our ups and downs a little bit here and there, nothing major, but he always had respect for me. And you're right, Nelly. If you weren't strong mentally, you couldn't play for George because he would test you. I mean, and he liked you to come back on him, too. You yes. remember, Nelly? I mean, he would get on you, and if you cowered or if you showed some weakness, uh, he, he didn't care for that. But I remember guys would challenge him and go back at him, uh, respectfully, of course. You, can't, right, you right. can't go overboard. But he loved that fight. He loved you to, to challenge him and go, you know what? Hey, I'm going to show you, boss. I'm going to show you what I'm about. Exactly. And, everything. and that's why he, he always took care of his players because he knew that, that if he could challenge you to be best, then, then you had a chance, whatever. So I, I, I have fond memories of George. Again, like I said, a lot of guys didn't get along with him too well, and 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 he did some things that you know that would, would piss you off. But but for the most part, I wouldn't have traded one thing of working with the Yankees, working for George, because out of anything, he gave you a chance to win. And as a player, that's all you care about. And you well, know that was funny because you know I wouldn't I, I would go back after playing in New York. I'd still live in Seattle, and some of my best friends. I mean, I would in the wintertime I'd be around Randy Johnson, Jay Buhner, and, and Griffey, and we all hung out all the time and and it's so funny i think it was after 97 or whatever 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 year we got chuck knoblock and all of a sudden it comes across the wire and and those guys get they were getting pissed they were like you got to be kidding me you guys just got better you got knoblock next thing you know oh you guys got roger clemens i mean what i mean it's just non-stop it's like you win a world series and mr starman always wanted to mix it up and, and and it was like okay hey go out and, and win it with this guy these guys now exactly and it didn't always work out because we we had teams in the 80s we we, we i think chris we won more games in the 80s than any team in baseball. You did, but, you did, but, but, but you but, never but, made but, the but playoffs except for 1981 for crying out loud. <laughs> exactly. I remember that so vividly. It was frustrating because, you know, we, we did go out and sign some free agents, but uh, it just didn't play out. Whether it was uh, Ed Woodson who didn't ha- couldn't handle New York or, or Steve Trout who, who had great years in Chicago but didn't really, you know, do well in New York. We, we had a beautiful offense power pack with some great players but we didn't have that really solid starters or whatever and so you know George would piece it together but we always felt a little bit short but we won more games than anybody in the 80s and 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 with all the championships that I've been blessed to be a part of I really look back at some of those years in the 80s where we, we could have won three or four championships and on that run easy golly if you had some starters if you had a little bullpen help yeah you you definitely would have won some World Series in the 80s no doubt sure. about it no doubt very very frustrating years along that Along that line, and uh, there were some teams that stepped up, like Toronto, when they went back to back, and then you had Boston, and finally had a really good year. Detroit, remember Nelly? Detroit had that really big year where they won a, a, crypt, a lot of games, just similar to what Seattle did when you were with them. But uh, we just couldn't get over the hump with pitching, and um, and that's really what hurt us. That, but but we we always George always again, even in the '80s, always gave us a chance to compete. Well, the parallel, Willie, which is weird, everything that we've been talking about, especially the Jeter stuff, the parallels between you and Derek. Eric and and how your career started are, are it's it, it's mind blowing. I you come over from the Pirates in 1976. You're 21 years old. You grow up in Brooklyn. You're back in New York with the New York Yankees, and you're in the World Series against the Big Red Machine. Your first year in New York, and then you win in 77 and 78. What is that whirlwind like for you coming back to New York where you grew up, and then being in that whirlwind as a 21 year old? That's exactly what it felt like, Chris. Being in a whirlwind. It was. It, it was like almost like a, a dream. Yeah, yeah. Can you? You gotta imagine. I grew up in in the sandlots of New York, Brooklyn, New York, playing. 
build with my friends and, and, and going to high school, junior high school. I was more of a Mets fan back in the day because I was really a National League fan. I loved the National League game, but I watched a lot of Yankee games. I went to Yankee Stadium, Shea Stadium. So here I am, you know, 21 years old, playing in front of my family and friends and all my buddies in high school, and they're like looking at me like, are you kidding me right now? You play for the Yankees? you got to be kidding me. And here I am, the first three years in the big leagues, I'm playing in, in, in the Big Apple on the biggest stage, and 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 those those October's were magical. Just you know, you could feel the the briskness in the air, and just the you know the in the old Yankee Stadium was nothing like it, guys. You know, that, come on, Chris, you remember how old Yankee Stadium was, man? It was like, <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was I remember. Magic. Trust it, me, <laughs> it, was, it was it was magical. You know, it felt like you you were in some type of dream, and 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 I was able to 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 be on that on that run with those great players who taught me how to play the game. I always give kudos to guys like Thurman Munson, the captain. I, I talk about Chris Chambliss, my first roommate. All these cats, you know, took me under their wing as a young player. They saw that I could play. They knew I had talent. And I brought a certain element along with Mickey Rivers of speed. I go back to that speed because we had great play. We had a nice nucleus, but we needed that infusion of aggressiveness. And Billy Martin was that type of manager. He loved the fact that he would turn us loose. And I stole 30-something bases and Mickey stole 40 or whatever. That really gave us a new look for the Yankees with the power that we had. So, But the, getting back to those days, I reminisce a lot. And, it, and it's almost like it was yesterday, guys. I, I can just almost feel the atmosphere and really looking at those times, how blessed I was to be you know, playing in front of my, my mom and dad, and all my friends, and I, and all my cousins and aunts and uncles. It, it was just, it was, a, it was magical. That's what it felt like. It felt like you were in some type of uh, uh, Field of Dreams movie or something like that. <laughs> what was it like to play for Billy? It's all that like e sixty thing on Billy Martin, and obviously off the field and some of the annex. But they said he was a really, really good manager. Yeah, I thought he was strategically as good as they come. I mean, um, Billy would let his ego get in the way sometimes and match up with the other guy, whether it was Earl Weaver or, or, or Gene Mock. And, and sometimes he'd get a little, little out, of, out of sorts a little bit. But no, but Billy Martin to me, albeit guys, as you know, because he would self-destruct, he was the best manager for the team because he made you feel like it was us against the world. Literally, you know, and every, a, lot, a lot of teams didn't like the Yankees anyway, but Billy really fed into that. I was fortunate, guys, because Billy took a liking to me right away. Maybe it's because we were both second basemen and we were tough street kids and stuff, and he saw something in me, and uh, we hit it off right away. Now, having said that, there was a lot of players that didn't get along with Billy too well, and that was not a good thing, okay, because he could be tough on his players. But he was similar to George in a lot of ways. If you put the team first and you played your butt off every day for him, Billy would give you the shirt off his back. But, you know, if if things got a little sideways and a lot of things happened in the clubhouse, Nelly, as you know, uh, Billy was not fun to play for. But I, I think I Lou, I think day, Lou learned from him. I, th I think, I think yes. Lou learned from Billy because I played for Lou, and he was like the same way for a while. I mean, if he liked you, and then that was the same way. I mean, he, Lou test. I, I still today from playing for Lou out in Seattle, I tell him, I said, you know what, playing for you gave me a chance to have success in New York because, uh, you know, he's tough. I mean, he was tough to play for. But if you accepted him in the right way, then then you would have you you loved him. That's that's right. As long as you were accountable every day and you played hard and, and put the team first, Lou, and, and again, Lou's another guy that, that I mentioned guys like Roy White and Chris Shamblin, Thurman Munson, but Lou was very instrumental in my career too. I actually, he was a teammate, obviously, 
uh, he was my general manager. I mean, you know, he, you know, he was my manager. So I, I've known Lou forever, and, and his attitude of being aggressive rubbed off on me. I mean, just the way he hit. Uh, we would talk hitting for hours, you know, having a beer, you know, on the bus or on the plane. So uh, Lou was very similar in my life, too. But you're right, Nelly. He was very similar to Billy, but these were the guys that molded me coming up through the system. And, and like I said, Billy was the kind of guy that – you know, he would, you know, self-destruct, you know, uh, off the field or he would get in fights with George and stuff. But he would get the most out of his players for a year or two. And then things would change and they would come back. He'd come back again. And then he'd come back again. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really a storybook kind of situation. But uh, I, I enjoyed playing for Billy because, again, he, he was pretty much my type of manager because he was aggressive and he loved to take it to the other team. How about 1977 in the ALCS? Hal McRae, Willie, would probably be in jail if he did yes. what he did to you <laughs> back then if he did that today. I mean, he, I, know. I mean, that was a that was a legitimate cross body block. I mean, that wasn't yes, even it was. He didn't even attempt to slide and he took you out and you got, uh, I mean, most of these players today would have broken in 15 parts. I mean, you got right up and got right in the umpire's face. I didn't even feel it. I mean, that, it was so weird about that. It's funny you brought that up. In spring training this year, I'm hanging out with the guys before they're stretching in spring training and they were all talking. You know, I would get together before we start stretching and, and Gardy was talking to a bunch of the guys and I walk up to the group and he goes, Willie, uh, I, I saw that clip of you and Hal McRae, man. Well, I cannot believe it. Tell us about what happened <laughs> with that and these guys were like riveted they were like all into it like oh my god did, did, did he hurt you guys i'm telling you first of all we played that way now now listen he was overzealous he went way overboard oh, yeah. the umpire should have kicked him out but but that's how we played that's why i didn't get hurt guys because i anticipated the contact we hated each other kansas city royals red sox we we took no prisoners nelly you know that we played that's, the game hard that's when it was so, so yeah. good it was so good there were it was so much fun yes. yes yes so so the fact that i braced myself because i knew that mcgray got down quick he was going to come after me because of the playoffs we already had bad blood already ready okay so when i caught the ball i knew that i wasn't going to get two on that so i could see him peripherally coming at me he's actually slid popped up and rolled so i got off the ground i played a little high school football i didn't mind contact because i was used to it you know, guys today they turn double plays and they sit there and expect they, they watch the play no get off the ground you got to get once you get up off the ground if he hits you you're going to roll and, and if you're tough enough you just get up and keep going so i anticipated the contact if you notice i got off the ground he hit me i did roll but i popped up because i anticipated that listen if this ball comes out of my hand and it did this guy's going to round third base and score because I think it was man on first and second at the time. So I jumped up, got the ball, and I got tangled up with him a little bit because he was on top of me, I was on top of him, and the guy scored. That's why I was so upset. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then I wait for the umpire to, to, to say interference or something like that. That's why I went nuts. Billy comes out, and we started going nuts on the umpire. But that that looked way worse than it, than it, than it felt to me because I really didn't even feel it. I, I, I just felt like, you know what? Hey, you get me? Hey, tomorrow we're going to get you. And that we almost got into a fight around the batting cage the next day. We went to Kansas city the next day two story and we were stretching out right in front of out in front of the batting cage when they were taking bp and cliff johnson got up on the stretch walked off the helmet crate and went to fight him he said, <laughs> he said hey 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 how he, 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 he poked him in the chest guy he said hey how 
I don't appreciate trying to hurt my boy Willie. He said, "Why don't you pick on somebody your own size?" And wow. we almost got into a brawl right at the end of the game. They had to separate. <laughs> the security had to come out and separate the two teams. We were ready to get into a fight. That's how we looked out for each other. And I guarantee you, Nelly, that after that play, how uh, how McCray never came close to me, and Frank White was bailing. Okay, because we had Nettles and we had Lou and all these cats that could play that game too. So I remember Frank White running after he got it on a double play, and 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 from that day on, and Al McCray got a little older later on, he never came close to me. I caught, I said, Bucky, tell Bucky, then give me the ball, because I would come and try to low bridge him, and he was peeling yeah. off at the right field every time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, never knew played, about that. I, I never knew um, about that potential brawl the next day in Kansas City. That's... Yes, yes, we almost got into it. That would have been the first time in history the two teams got into a brawl during batting practice. And Nelly, and that was back, and and that was back when when guys were starting to stretch together as a team. Because when I first came up as a rookie, a lot of teams we would stretch on our own. But then we started doing it as a group and everything for BP, and that's why we were all together. We were watching them take BP, and the Hal came out of the cage. And I see Cliff get up, and I said, "Wait, where Cliff? Where are you going?" And he and he was like, "Hey, pick on somebody your own size. He's going <laughs> to knock him out right there." <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, Willie, you, you know you you start reflecting on your career. I was looking at your numbers, and you know, 18 years, and you know, my opinion, uh, you know, I, you could be a Hall of Famer. You ever think about that? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm borderline, guys. I I I hate to even mention you know, Hall of Fame, because there's so many great players in there. But just to be honest, I mean, to be a little selfish about it, I thought that that if you look at my numbers totally, and especially the way the numbers are equated nowadays with all the analytics and everything, the metrics, my loss base percentage, you know, my war, all that stuff, I'm up there with guys that are in the Hall of Fame already. Right, yeah, I know. That's, that's what they're looking and, at now. Yeah, and so it's, it's really kind of weird how – how analytics has kind of kept me out of the game, but in a way it's going to help me maybe get a borderline Hall of Fame nod one day because the Veterans Committee is looking at guys like Alan Trammell now. And if you look at Alan Trammell, you you got to look at Lou Whitaker. I mean, come on, Lou Whitaker and Trammell are a pair. And if you look at Lou Whitaker, if he gets in the next year or so, then you got to look at me because I'm right. like, he was my contemporary, Frank White, all those cats. So I always felt like I didn't get a lot of attention because I wasn't the big you know, media guy. But if you look at winning baseball or being a part of winning baseball, setting the table for the big boys, you know, scoring runs, stealing bases, I was the best at that for about 10 years or so, you know. And so I never look at personal stuff for me, but if you look at my total game, defense, base running, hitting, Walks. I had over twelve hundred walks. That's crazy. Twelve hundred walks for a little little line drive hitter. You led the league one year. Yeah, I had one hundred nineteen walks. That's crazy. I mean, I'm not going to scare anybody. I'm not a home run hitter, but I I knew how to hit. I knew how to get on base and set the table for the big boys. I took a lot of pride in that. And so and so, you know, it's really weird. A lot of people will bring that up to me, Nelly. They'll say, you know, Willie, you, your numbers are pretty interesting or whatever. And I remember Ryan Braun saying this to me one time. I was in Milwaukee as a coach one year, and he goes, Willie, I was looking at the, the the media guy, and your numbers, man, they're sick. They're freaking sick, man. I mean, golly, how can, how'd you have twelve hundred walks? That's sick. <laughs> and I said, well, that's that's the way we play. We sacrificed. I knew my role. I knew my job, and I stick. I stuck with it. Willie Jake Brown here. Last one for you uh i do our mets podcast with nelson figueroa and you know i mean we all know this the end of your time with the mets you have a one game under 500 record now and you're getting a canyon of heroes parade as a mets manager now um (laughs) i I thought i thought you should have stuck around and you know after you left the team didn't win again for eight nine years do you think about that does that frustrate you today uh do you think about if you stayed that maybe you could have led the mets to a world series yes 
no doubt, no doubt. That that sticks in my craw a little bit. To be honest, I, I thought that uh, my staff and I did a really good job going over to the Mets. I, I waited a long time, guys, to get an opportunity, obviously. I waited almost 12 interviews. Uh, a lot of them were token interviews, so I went through the process. When I finally got an opportunity, you know, I said, wow, this this is this is worth the wait. So here I'm managing the team that I actually rooted for as a kid. I mean, the best of both worlds, a Yankee and a Met. So I remember uh, coming in and being very proud of knocking the Braves off their perch. Remember, Braves dominated that division for 13 years. I think they won the division. And we finally knocked them off. And then we had the one year, the next year, 06 is when <laughs> – one pitch from going to the World Series. I love Carlos Beltran, but you got to swing. Come on, Carlos, got to <laughs> swing. Come on, man. You can't take a third strike, you know, face loaded, full count. But I love my – I joke when I say that. But but we got one pitch from going to the World Series. And then what what was maybe my uh, my collapse, my downfall, is that we had that big collapse. And uh, and I don't know what happened after that. I just still thought that I built enough cachet and I proved myself as a young manager that as I got older and grew that I was better and better. So it is one of the biggest disappointments in my career that I didn't get another chance to uh, to grow and get better, especially when you see a lot of the managers getting second and third shots in the game and still getting second and third shots. I really felt like uh, my staff and I, we were given a little more time. Uh, we could have really, you know, built something really special with the Mets. But I still, you know, I, I look back with fond memories only because, again, it was a privilege and an honor to finally get a chance to manage in the big leagues. Those jobs are very few and far between. But it, I, I'll admit, it, I, I was disappointed that I didn't get a chance to continue my career. And then, really, I never got another shot, which which even makes it even sadder for me because I wanted to also be a part of a legacy, not just about Willie Randolph, but for other African-American managers behind me to, to see people like them and see them grow and get an opportunity to show that we can lead clubs and we can be successful and uh, given an opportunity, we, we could flourish in the game. So uh, that was probably disappointing me more than anything because I just felt like I was on, on, on the right track of, of showing, of setting an example for a lot of black managers. But getting fired after a win in Los Angeles is criminal to me. I mean, how are they going to yeah. pack your bags yeah. and you're on the West Coast <laughs> and you won the game? I don't get it. Yeah, matter of fact, we won three out of four games, actually. I think they must have made that decision before we went out there. I asked, I asked Omar, I said, Omar, listen, I'm a big boy. I grew up in New York, you know, listen, if you're going to let me go, I, I see the blood in the water. If you're going to let me go, let me go. And he, he, he said that, hey, man, everything's fine. You know, we're going to keep going and, and uh, went out there and that's what happened. But I, we went, we beat, we beat the Angels, actually. Angels were a pretty good club with Mike Socia. We went three out of four games. So I got to back to the clubhouse and uh, uh, one, of the coach, one of the guys came and said, hey, uh, what are you doing after the game tonight? Well, you? I said, well, I'm going back to my room and uh, have a beer and relax. He said, well, go by Omar's room. And uh, I said, uh-oh. And I'm thinking at the time, I'm thinking at the time, guys, that because it was, it was Rick Peterson uh, was, was on the chopping block, too, for a while there. So I thought maybe I'm thinking to myself, I got to save Rick. I got to I got to find through. They're going to they're going to they're gonna whack Rick here. So I said, let me see if I can talk someone out of it. <laughs> Little did I know I was the one that was being whacked. <laughs> <laughs> they better flew you private on the way home and give you like caviar. Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, 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 no. Rick Peterson and I came back on that flight, and we we had a mark martini or two. That's <laughs> <laughs> Willie. Let me let me just wrap this up by by asking you: Have have you left managing in the rear view? Because I think you do deserve another chance, and and I think you should be on the bench again. But it, that's entirely up to you. Would you even be interested in going back now? Wow, that's an excellent question. For so many years, I I've, I've held on to that dream, that opportunity, but. 
I don't know, guys. I really feel like that ship has sailed because of the way the game has changed. It's evolved into a new group of general managers. A lot of the analytic guys are taking over the game for the most part. You look at in the coaching ranks, there are not many guys that are even coaching. I mean, these are solid baseball coaches that played the game, and even they're not getting a shot. So I, I would love another opportunity, but I don't. I used to maybe sit up at night thinking about it, maybe. But I see that the game is just evolving into a different realm, and and. Uh, I don't even know if I would even get a call anymore. For years, I would put it, put my name in the pot, and and I, and I, when I noticed when the interview stopped, stopped coming in, I kind of not that I gave up, but I just saw that uh, it probably wasn't going to happen. So I'm at peace with all that. I'm good. I, I would love to stay in the game in some way, shape, or form, but I don't know if if I fit really with where the game is, or or I fit with what they want in the game. So uh, I, right now, I'm not something I think about, but but I don't ever close the door to anything. But uh, I still love the game. I still feel I have a lot to offer to the game. Young, energetic. I love teaching. And so I'm always going to stay open to it. But I, I, I kind of feel in some way deep down inside that, that that door is closed now. Well, that's a shame because I would have loved to seen you back on a bench somewhere <laughs> because because you uh, you deserve it. And, and Willie Randolph will always fit in the Sheeran household. That's for sure. Thank you so much, Willie, for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, it's been a pleasure. As Thanks, always. Willie. Oh, I, hey, I had a blast, man. Anytime. Call me anytime, boy. I love you guys. Take care. That's a wrap for episode 30, the Willie Randolph edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. If you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and please write a positive review. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll be back on Monday as we look ahead to the Yankees' first round of the playoffs. October baseball is almost in the air. Enjoy the final four games of the regular season. And as always, stay safe, everyone.